This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. On 2NURFM, this is Jane Klein. I have with me Dr. David Taverett and Danny Voss as usual because it's time for Pet Chat. And David, what are we going to be talking about today? Your special subject Hi, Jane. is... Uh, dental disease, I thought. We might talk about that. Dental yeah. disease sounds good. Yep. All animals have teeth except birds. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Danny, we've also got an interesting interview with uh, about dancing dogs. Yeah, we'll be talking to Lucy Allen, who does do dancing with dogs. So quite an interesting topic. Not wolves, but dogs. Pet chat. And, of course, we'll be taking your calls after 12.30 and get your questions ready for our pet vet, Dr. David Tabret, today. Welcome to Pet Chat this morning. It's quarter past 12. It's the afternoon, actually. And David Tabret is with us. Um, and, David, your special subject today would be... Dental disease. Dental mm. disease. So, As you said, they've all got teeth except for birds, and we do see dental disease in dogs and cats. Ferrets, rabbits, snakes. Snakes? Um, yeah, yeah so they do. They get a lot of dental disease, actually. I thought they had fangs, not teeth. Well, next to the fangs, they got these teeth. <laughs> they end up with nasty bacteria. And that's one of the things that happens is that um, with all these species is that they can get uh, problems. Primarily, we're really concerned about gum disease, that's gingivitis or periodontal disease, and that means that the disease is spread into the surrounding tissue, and sometimes that's the bone or the ligament that attaches the tooth to the bone, the periodontal ligament. And, of course, if that's damaged, then you can start to get teeth loss and falling out. And uh, bone infections, I've seen animals that have had fractured jaws from their dental disease. It's that bad. So you have to be very careful. And, of course, like everything, prevention is the key to success. But sometimes you have um, uh, you have to start at some point and get their teeth clean and then work on you know, preventative measures. So that might be dietary therapy or it might be regular chewing or, in some cases, home brushing. People can brush their dogs and cats' teeth. I'm not, I haven't seen too many successful cats having their teeth brushed, but at least not with people hanging on to their fingers and things like that. But you can even get, get this, you can get toothpaste for dogs in different flavours. You can get beef flavour, malt flavour, and I think there's a chicken flavour as well. So they've made them. uh, I haven't tried them. I can't attest to I wouldn't mind a beef-flavoured toothpaste for my tea. It's pretty good, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) What about chocolate-flavoured? That'd be fun. Sort of defeats the purpose. <laughs> it does. So why do we see it? I, look, it's very common. It's like, you know, we estimate probably 70 to 80% of animals that come to the vet for another reason are going to have dental disease. Or in other words, 70 to 80% of all the animals out there. And in pet stores, you'll find there is a special toothbrush you can use for your pets that does both sides of the teeth as well. Um, mm. When you're, you're, when you're uh, both using... Both sides at once. Uh, well, the inside of the of the teeth and the outside. So it's a special brush. It makes it a bit easier to brush the teeth where after you've put the dog toothpaste on it, that might be beef flavoured. Beef flavoured. <laughs> um, yeah, because oftentimes you want to be fairly quick about it. And in talking about prevention, I used to say when I was in general practice was that you uh, probably just do one side that day, like the, just the upper left, and then tomorrow do the lower left, and then the next day, so that you're only spending a few minutes, you know, 30 seconds to a minute or two, 
rather than trying to do the whole mouth at once. And at least then you can do the whole mouth once a week. So you're doing it for four days and then have three days off, that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, the reason we get these is that a lot of... If you look at little dogs, for instance, uh, we've got all these different shapes and sizes and so on, and they can end up with their teeth being jammed in. And so they get orthodontic problems where their teeth are in the wrong place and there's malocclusion and they get overcrowding. That's probably the number one cause, and particularly little dogs, uh, they often get little bits of food or hair caught around their teeth. Bacteria and saliva start to interact. They get down under the gum line where we can't see them and they'll cause damage to the gum and damage to the ligaments. So uh, cleaning their teeth is half the story, but you've got to keep under the gum clear. The interesting thing is that in wild dogs and in actually in fossilised uh, remains of dogs, they found evidence of dental disease. So it's not just a recent phenomenon, although we are seeing through um, various factors like the breeding and so on, different breeds, we do see uh, an increased incidence, of course. So we do need to be careful about it. It should be part of our regular maintenance schedule. And in fact, I actually had my own little dog out this morning and I went over to a, um, a friend's place who's got a veterinary clinic because we don't have a, um, dental equipment at the emergency centre where I work. So um, generally it's a preventative thing, not an emergency. So I had to go over and um, so I'd like to thank the guys over at Mayfield Vets. Um, Nigel and Cherie was helping me do the um, anaesthetic and the dental this morning. A very topical topic. Yes, yeah. Well, they needed a clean. And you know what the biggest thing was? My wife said to me, that dog's breath smells. So there you go. And is that the best clue? Yeah, very much so. And sometimes you may not even see, if you just lift the lip, you might be looking for colour on the tooth, like a brownish colour. Before you get that, it might just be a red line in the gum, and that's gingivitis. Before that... Yeah, halitosis, bad breath. Pet chat, and uh, we have right now an interview, Danny, with a an, well, on we, an interesting topic. Yeah, Lucy Ellum's going to talk to us about dancing with dogs. I find it fascinating when you watch dancing um, that is done with dogs and how they're trained and and the effort that goes into getting them to that to that level. So Lucy uh, was uh, referred to me by a great friend of mine, Lainey Knox, who's a Weimaraner breeder, and she said, "Oh, you really need to have Lucy on the show, and you can talk about dancing with dogs." So thank you for coming on the show, Lucy. You're welcome. Now, Lucy, can you tell us a little bit about your history with dogs? Uh, I've been a professional trainer for about 42 years, and I uh, got involved about 12 years ago with uh, dog dancing, saw it in America, thought it was wonderful, thought it was uh, something to do that was fun with your dog. It's harder than it looks, yes. and uh, well, I've been having fun ever since. Well, yeah, the professionals that do it, when you see them do it, it does, they make it look so easy, but, but there is quite a bit involved with it, I guess. What is dancing with, with dogs? Uh, it's teaching a dog uh, all sorts of tricks, then finding the music to suit your routine and suit the dog and yourself, then putting a routine together and blending the tricks together um, in time with the music, yes, uh, with a great start, a good middle, and a great finish. So, with 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 the dancing and teaching the tricks, what kind of tricks are you talking about that they would do um, while they're dancing? We teach them to circle whilst they're walking beside you. We teach them to bow, roll over, yes, walk backwards, uh, stand on their back legs if they're old enough, yes, uh, weaving throughout your legs. Yes, I've uh, seen that crawling, happen. Mm-hmm. Crawling. 
having the dog standing in front of you when you walk side on and he walks side on with you. Yes. Um, what else do we do? There, there's uh, a standing in front, turning and going backwards through your legs. There's all sorts of different tricks. So there's a lot of manoeuvres to, to, to teach the dog, so it would take a bit of time. And you usually teach them using treats, do you? Yes, the positive method is the only method Yes, because they'll want to do it again. And the, the tricks, you break down a trick uh, and do a little bit at a time and then put it together later. It's not a fast thing. Positive training is not quick and easy uh, like the old method used to be. Yeah. But uh, just breaking down the, the tricks, you might see a trick and think, well, I'll try that one, break yes. it down into little bits and then put it together and... It's amazing the overwhelming response that people give as you come out of the ring. I uh, do a performance uh, at the Royal Easter Show on the General Specials Day of the Dog Show. Yes. And uh, there's about 8,000 people there and about 4,000 dogs have walked through the grassed area. I had a shepherd who's now passed on. Yes. And uh, with a positive method and uh, just the relationship you gain with your dog through it, you end up having uh, a dog that won't sniff and looks at you the whole time. So it's really a team effort. The two of you work closely together and the dog is always watching what, because you're the lead dancer, I guess, and the dog is always always watching what you want it to do. That's right. Uh, there's a lot of new ideas coming out from um, England and America where they're doing skits now where instead of dancing... Uh, they actually tell a story in their skit, but the skit oh, wow. is usually no longer than four minutes. Okay, that's what that was my next question. When you do the dancing with the dog, say like you did at the Royal, is it the full length of the song or the tune, usually, which could be yes. three or four minutes? Uh, I did one to uh, Victory, uh, done by Bond, and it's a magnificent piece. It's very mm. striking and it gets everybody's attention. There's no need uh, having a a quiet and sombre uh, music. You've got to have something that people know yes. and will clap. And if you've taught your dog well, clapping shouldn't bother them. Yes. And everybody joins in. If somebody likes something when you're doing your performance, we encourage them to clap and do an R. And, you know, it's just so much fun. And the relationship you get with your dog is next to nothing. Fabulous. Well, that, that's another benefit by doing this with your dog because you're working very closely with your dog. You're spending time with them, isn't it? Yes, yes. Spending time, there's so many dogs that are left in the backyard. Uh, you don't do anything with them. And uh, they need to be a part of the family. And people, I ask people, does your dog come in your house? And they go, oh, no, thinking they might catch leprosy or something. Yes, like. yes. You know, the, the dog should be allowed in the house under your rules. Yes, and that's that's the uh, important factor, though, uh, under under the certain house rules that the family establishes, isn't it? Yes, most most dogs, uh, when their puppies are so cute, they're allowed in the house for the first time, mm. and the puppy walks in the house and says, "What a fabulous four bedroom kennel with a pool." <laughs> yes, <laughs> because they they just they treat the house like a kennel instead of feeling lucky that they're allowed in the house. Now, are there any dogs that are better suited to training for dancing than other, other breeds? You can train any dog, mm -hmm. to be quite honest, if you've got the time and effort. Uh, but the easier dogs are uh, Border Collies. Yes. Um, Short-bodied dogs are easy because they uh, can do lots of tricks rather than a long-bodied German Shepherd. 
Yes. But a border collie and a golden retriever are very, very popular. Um, the wonderful uh, American and Canadian um, uh, dancers are just wonderful because there is a World Canine Freestyle Organization in America. Wow. Uh, which I'm the only Australian judge, um, recognized judge. Uh, there's about 15 judges all up, and I'm the only Australian that uh, has been passed the exams, etc. And we usually have, because it's worldwide, we have a, a video competition. So anyway, in the world, can send a video to them. It's judged, oh, wow. and you're placed. And uh, several years ago, I won the pro. I got third in a pro stars competition worldwide. Uh, England came first, Japan was second, and Australia was third. That's that's fantastic news, yeah. isn't it? Now, is one more question in terms of uh, using the dogs to to teach them dancing? Uh, can you do it with older dogs? Teach an older dog to do the dancing? You can always teach old dogs new tricks, so you've got a chance there. Okay, and if anyone is interested in joining your your club, for example, and doing this with their pet, where can they get the details? Uh, you can get it off my uh, website, which is Kamana, C-A-M-A-R-N-A. Just Google that, mm-hmm. and you'll see some photos. And uh, uh, we, I've done a lot of wonderful Michael Jackson um, routines because I thought he was grand and his music yeah. was grand. And there's a good beat to it too, isn't yes, there? So. it sure is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, next time you do one, you'll have to I- invite us so we can have a look. I would be well, interested in seeing that one. Because my old shepherd has now passed on and I yes. have a boy collie named Naroff Fredastia. Oh, wonderful. And I'm just trying to look as Ginger Rogers as possible. Well, Lucy, thank you for your time and uh, we'll talk welcome. again. And anyone can uh, go to the website, ask me any questions. Yes. Quite happy to answer them. Fantastic. Okay. Lucy Ellum and Dancing with Dogs or Dancing Dogs. You're listening to Pet Chat on 2NURFM and we'll be very happy to take your calls if you've got a question you'd like to put to David Tabret, who's our pet vet. And uh, 49216216 is the number to ring to get you through to us. It's half past 12. And you're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat. 49216216 is the number to ring to get your questions through to our pet vet, David Tabret. And Joy has rung in from Watanabe with a question. Hello, Joy. Hello, David. Hi, Joy. Uh, I'm ringing on behalf of my mother. Mm-hmm. She's got a um, chihuahua, and he'd be about probably five-year-old. And also in the household, my brother owns a, a um, Jack Russell. Mm-hmm. And the Chihuahua, he seems to poop when he wants, mm. and and yet my mum will have the front door open or the back door open for him to go outside. Yes. And then she'll put him outside when he's done it in the house to sort of like to say he's a naughty boy, but he just can't get out of this habit, and it's been going for a long time now. He's five years old. He'd be about five, yes. And how old's the Jack Russell? Uh, Jack would be about four. So has this problem been happening since way yes. back? Mm, yes. Okay. And was he was um, originally house trained by your mum or by someone else? Or? Uh, by someone else. Okay. And um, I'm just wondering whether there's anything happening between the two dogs. That can sometimes be a factor. But with we see this oftentimes with little dogs. My theory about it is, and there's no proof, but... Little dogs tend to get picked up a lot. 
Right. And so they start to think that they see the f- the physical height can often determine their their feeling of where they sit in the hierarchy. So when they get picked up and they're carried around, then they start to think, oh, well, I'm the boss of you, and I'm the boss of you, and I'm the boss of you, and this is my house, and I'll just do what I like. Uh-huh. Um, so oftentimes there's there's no disincentive for the dog to do that, and um, it's very difficult. Obviously, you can't negative uh, systems of training and so on that as in punishment mm. don't often have the desired effect they don't often work very well and particularly with this because then what happens is they just go into a different room and not necessarily outside so i think that um you can use some inside uh, that we've talked about them before the toilet mats and i think that might be a good place to start um, what are they called, Danny? Uh, well, they usually have a puppy name there's to a, them because it's for puppy yeah, trainers. Yeah. So there's a few different brands out there. It's a mat, and you can also put, there's a liquid you put that gives it a scent so that the dog knows to go to that mat to go and do its toilet business. Yeah. Hmm. There is, um, that's sort of a simple approach, but this problem can sometimes demand more detailed behavioural modification and I think it all revolves around the hierarchy in the house as I was saying so my approach is often is that the dog has to go on a cold turkey diet of no attention Okay. and all they get is they are asked to sit and they get fed and that's really all the attention they get, you do that for a week they'll really start to uh, respond and all you need to do is make sure that you don't interact with them if they do poop in the house have the mats there. That might be fine near the back door, but the idea is then we're going to shift the mat outside. But no attention otherwise means that they're going to respond to any sort of attention when you start to give it a couple, you know, a week or so down the track, which will be praise for going outside. <coughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> That's okay, a simple part. Thank you, Dave, for your help. Give it we'll a go. Good Alrighty. luck. And uh, we now have another caller on the line. Hello? Oh, hello, it's Sam Ryan calling from Carrington. How are you today? Hi, Sam. How are you going? What can we do for you? Uh, well, I just happened to overhear you say uh, there's a dental practice for dogs in Mayfield. Was that correct? Oh, no, it wasn't uh, Wasn't specifically a dental practice. It was um, a good friend of mine is uh, one of the vets there, and uh, my dog needed some dental work. So we went over there to get it done. But um, it's a very common problem dental disease as we're saying and almost all veterinary hospitals except the emergency center as it turns out (laughs) would probably deal with dental disease on a daily basis multiple times so there are actual dental specialists when i've made some inquiries that's the problem sorry i made a few inquiries and most of them seem to be in sydney well yeah i wouldn't even know if there's any specialist dentists in brisbane i did have a client who actually flew you do mean newcastle Oh, sorry, Karen. did I say Brisbane? You did. That's probably because you've just been there. I've just been there. We are talking about Newcastle. Yeah, believe me, yeah. Yeah, there's... I, 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 I go to a dental practice, uh, dental pra- uh, um, veterinary practice in Adamstown, yeah. and uh, just my border collie lost the very, very uh, tip of his upper left um, canine. Yeah. And it looks okay, yeah. but it's a bit of a sharp edge, and every now and again it gets any sort of cuts and slip or whatever. Ooh. Yeah, that's a bit of a problem. Yeah, so I just needed, you know, obviously if that was us, you just come to the dental chair, five minutes in the dental chair, you'd walk out and, you know, it would be shaped for you. But with a dog, it's a little different, of course, you know. That's um, right. Very, very gentle. There's no problem. She'd probably let you do it. But um, as soon as my ears pricked up, as soon as you mentioned that uh, one out at Mayfield, because 
Um, he doesn't uh, get a lot of bones, which I'm going to start to reintroduce, so he's got something to gnaw on. Yeah. But it's difficult. It's not the, the larger teeth. It's those tiny little ones between the large crushes at the back and the canines in the front teeth. Front teeth are, as, you know, like a, a white picket fence. They're beautiful. Lovely, lovely. The um, the thing you're talking about with that tooth problem might require a crown. Now, as you said, the specialists are a while, you know, a bit of a trip away, and unfortunately, we don't have any dental specialists in Newcastle. So the only patient I've had actually ended up having to go to Brisbane because that's where sort of the nearest specialist was to do some extensive work. Oh, so uh, yeah, well. Yeah. well Okay, because I, I, he's allowed me to have a good look at it. It's just the very tip broken off. There's no dentine showing, so it's still in the enamel. It, it probably, if it, once I get him back on the bones, it'll more than likely take the sharp edge. Might wear it away, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. But uh, uh, when, when you said you had your dog's teeth clean, um, I, I'm just wondering if I, I could just get the address from that veterinary surgery so I could um, uh, perhaps go over there and run another look. Well, you can always talk to them, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they've if um, your regular veterinarian has similar facilities at, at that same level at this stage. So okay. Chase that one up and good luck, Thanks, Sam. Sam. Uh, on the line now we have... Carol. Carol. Hi, Carol. How are you going? Hi. I just wanted to thank David for the advice he gave me last year. Last that year? Really good advice. Oh, what, what was the advice? I can't quite recall no, it. No, you wouldn't recall <laughs> it, but you advised me to go for it when I said I didn't know mm. if, whether to get a dog or not. Oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. We wanted an and, older dog because, yeah. you know, we're getting pretty old ourselves. I didn't want to uh, have a puppy to deal with, and um, we adopted an older a mini schnauzer right and we love him so much we adopted another one so <laughs> now we've got two beautiful dogs that are just and oh. does does he love you do they love oh, you oh yes yeah. yes oh good yeah. on you good on makes you us, makes us happy to get up in the morning you know and um that's wonderful the, the oh, Carol, I'm so pleased to hear that story. Yes, That's good. Thank you for excellent. ringing in And I just that. wanted to say about the teeth, I yes. just uh, use a soft toothbrush and a bit of bicarb soda and it gets all the tartar off the teeth wonderfully. Good on you. Good yeah. tip. All right. Thanks for your call, Thanks, Carol. Carol. And uh, Marie's on the line now. Hello. Oh, hi. Hi. Um, I just um, wanted to ask, <coughs> pardon me, um, I'd really love to have um, a pet, a dog particularly, and I work full-time, and I'm just wondering how the vet feels about, you know, full-time workers and leaving an animal on its own all day. I mean, I, 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 my conscience tells me that that may not be suitable, and I just wanted to know how you feel about it. I think that there's uh, it's a very, very good question. There's some dogs that, that you might be able to do that. Um, but there's certainly a lot of breeds of dogs where you would develop problems, behavioural problems, and I've seen households that have been ripped to shreds. I've seen dogs with anxiety problems, skin problems, and all sorts of things because of that that separation that they, they're having. Dogs are a pack animal. They're a social animal, so they do need to have someone around. They can tolerate times apart, but in essence, they're a, they're a social animal. The other approach might be to consider a different species. Maybe, yeah. a, maybe a cat might be more suitable. Or um, a goldfish. Well, a goldfish, yes. I'm joking. Uh, I thought I, I'd love to have a French poodle, and I really would prefer a dog to a cat. Um, yeah. um, I do love cats, but uh, and I have had cats over the years. But you know, I just have my heart set, and I just, you know, I just think 
not right and it's not fair to the dog. And, and I keep thinking about it. It won't go away. Mm. So I thought I'd ask, ask an expert. And, um, yeah, so yeah. about a French poodle, they would be no different to any other dog in the sense that it could cause anxiety problems, yeah? I haven't had a lot of experience with them, but... Uh I think they are a fairly anxious breed and probably do anyway. require a lot of interaction. They're certainly, they can often be a very indoorsy type dog. They're also yeah. quite intelligent, so they need that constant brain stimulation, stim, brain yeah. stimulation as well. Um, if you're interested in a particular breed, I would recommend also talking to registered breeders of that breed and, and tell them your circumstances and yeah. see what they say as well. Yeah, the other thing, um, the other thing, Marie, is that there was a website that you could go to, which was, I don't know if it's still active, it's called petselect.com.au, and you put in your details, as in, you know, like, size of yard, hours that you work, and da-da-da-da-da, um, and it basically spits out a list of breeds that might be suitable. Right. Well, would having two make a difference, do you think, like having a pair, um, for company for each other, if you're not there? I've seen it help and I've seen it worsen situations. I know that doesn't help you too much, but honestly, that's, that's been my experience. It can actually um, exacerbate the problems. Especially if you get a pair of dogs that are the same age, so you would get them as puppies, it can be quite difficult mm. to bond with them and train them when there's two of them together all the time at the same age. Yeah. Mm. Yep, yep. Oh, that's great. That's good. It's cleared, that, um, um, cleared that up for me. Thank you very much. That's I'll all right. I'll look online, too, and see what they say. Yay. Yeah. Good <laughs> on you. Yeah. done, Marie. Yes, it's a problem, I, isn't it? I think that's great that Marie's, you know, thinking about it and thinking about the dog's welfare um, because, obviously, you know, she's pretty keen to have a pet dog, and that's great. But she's also saying, well, hang on, my circumstances don't necessarily or may not necessarily fit with the lifestyle of a dog, and let's get some more advice. So, And that is important that, yeah. because it also limits the chance that one year later, after oh, getting yes. a pet, that they need to be rehomed or taken to the RSPCA. Behavioural problems and so on. And so yeah. forth, yes. Very important. You're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat. It's a quarter to one, and Danny, just before we go to John and his question... Um, You've got a thought about older dogs. Well, number of calls we've had today is about people saying how great it is to have had a, a pet and got an older dog rather than raising it from a puppy. And it just reminded me about what Hunter Animal Rescue does. Hunter Animal Rescue takes dogs that are on waiting to be euthanised and they place them in foster homes. And then sometimes they might place them in another home for a permanent uh, residence. And they're a great volunteer society that are needing supporters and volunteers to help them because some of their foster homes have had a parvo outbreak so they can't send dogs back into that area what or is that parvo? home david um you know parvo, parvo? <laughs> i hope so <laughs> uh, parvo virus is a it's a fairly common virus that we see it attacks younger animals more frequently and it infects their gut so it causes vomiting and diarrhea and can lead to a bacterial infections but the problem with it is it persists in the environment for some people say up to two years uh, certainly 12 months is uh, is the concern and it can you can treat the environment but it's very difficult vaccination is the best way to prevent uh, parvo infecting your your pups and your dogs so yeah i think these um, measures by the hunt animal rescue to avoid any contamination and possible infection in foster dogs is 
very, very responsible. So if, if people are interested in, in rehoming or fostering an older dog and they've even got situations where they've got um, uh, female dogs that have got puppies, so if you're interested in looking after some, some puppies with a female mother, please get in contact with Hunter Animal Rescue. Go to their website, www.hunteranimalrescue.com.au and offer your volunteer services. Do you have a phone number as well, Danny? I do have a phone number as well, actually. It's 0411 581964. And they do need a lot of help at the moment and would be ideal if you can contact them if you're available to do that. Great, thanks. Now, John has rung in. And, John, do you have a question to put to David? Yes. Um, hi, David. Uh, hi, John. I, I've got a, a Sharpay. Oh, yeah. And... Um, well, I've been told, like, um, she's got this Sharpay fever that um, yes. it, it, it can't be cured. Um, she's on um, tablets mm, daily, mm. but um, anything that happens to her, they just say, well, this is one of the symptoms of, of this particular disease, you know? Yeah, Sharpay fever is, um, we do see it quite a lot, and um, I've dealt with Sharpays for many, many years. Um, basically for everyone, it's uh, an inflammatory condition. We're not quite sure how or why they get it. Certainly there may be a genetic component. seems to attack the um, sub, um, subcuticular, the tissue under the skin, and in fact the collagen seems to be the thing that gets attacked and gets inflamed. So these dogs, they, they're often um, sort of young adults, and they'll get uh, very high fevers, obviously, Harpe fever, but the other name that it goes by is swollen hock syndrome. So they often get swelling in the tissues around their joints and particularly around their back legs in the hocks, which is like our ankle. And um, there are some other manifestations that can cause um, damage to internal organs if it, if it sort of progresses. So in a lot of cases, um, it may be just a very mild transient thing, but we do see dogs that do go on to have um, more severe uh, inflammatory effects and they need medication. And, um, you know, as John said, they're sort of stuck with it for life. And um, I haven't seen too many that have got really bad, but I know that they're out there. And I just hope, John, that your um, your little pup isn't going to suffer the, the well, full-blown effects. She's had some bad times. Like yeah. her, her front, the, the joints on the front legs are the worst. They're, oh, okay. They're all swollen. And uh, she jumped off the bed once and must have hurt them a bit. So... Um, she, she virtually couldn't walk, walk for about four days, so uh, dear, I just slept dear. on the lounge room floor with her for four nights, and it's not real good. It's a bit hard there. Yeah, there's very much a similarity to condition in people called amyloidosis, and this seems to be the, the full extension of the disease in the dogs is they progress to this amyloidosis, and what that happens is that they get a deposition of a protein called amyloid into their internal organs, and sometimes it starts off in the joints, and... It can be very difficult to treat. There are some um, medications that are available. The medications have some side effects. Uh, they're often expensive, not always easy to source. So, you know, oftentimes um, dogs are, are left with really debilitating effects as John's been going through. So, mm. She's on um, a, a tablet, Col Colgate? Colchicine? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. she's on some medication. And that's, and that's um, one of the ones I was talking about. And that uh, in itself, you know, that has side effects, that medication. So it's, um, it's not a good syndrome. I'm really sorry that, that you've got that problem because it's, um, 
something that sadly we see and it's like a lot of breed problems jane that we see in in dogs sometimes you know these things they're really nasty um and we hope that we can get rid of it with breeding and genetics but that takes a long time and in the meantime you know john's looking after his dog as best he can so Mm. so good luck best wishes john Mm. yeah now danny you were yes. going to tell us about something interesting that you discovered. Well, being that it's the end of the financial year here in Australia, I thought, what better way than to discuss the fact that there is a possibility of getting a tax deduction for owning your pet? How's that sound? Now, what happens is is that if your pet is a working dog, now it could be that um, it could be a watchdog at the home office, a guard dog, could be a, a, tra- a tradesman's dog, it, it goes with the tradie to work every day, could uh, also be uh, a companion in certain variations. The tax office is allowing a, ta- a part tax deduction for the cost of vaccines and feeding your dog and, and vet visits. So that is possible. And if, if you do have such a situation, make sure to talk to your accountant about it because there is a possibility that you could get a tax deduction for those bills. How good's that? That sounds excellent. <laughs> now, another thing I wanted to just quickly say is that there has been research has found that internet use for information on pets over the past 10 years has significantly increased. Studies are showing that currently 27% of dog owners use the internet versus 5% back in 1998 to research information about their pets and about breeds. And there's even more people who own fish that use the internet. Fish owners are the largest increase that have moved to 34% from 4% back 10 years ago. Something to do with brain food, do you think? <laughs> Could be. Well, it's, it's where, do, where do we get our information? And that's the thing. And obviously, f- uh, fish information is probably a bit hard to come by. But um, dog information, there's a lot of people and resources you can go to. The only thing I would say, Danny, is um, you know not to believe everything that you read on the internet well yeah that's right you have to have to watch out and i guess uh, view it with caution but yes. um there is a lot of information on the internet and apparently it's, it's doubling every every 18 months or so, oh, so. i believe that there is. No, come on. i was just going to say for a good information source i might have mentioned it on the show before but i always refer my clients to a veterinary website called vet veterinarypartner.com it's actually been sponsored by a group called Veterinary Information Network which is a network of 40,000 vets that's 40,000 around the world and I've been a member of uh, VIN, Veterinary Information Network for about 12 years Uh, veterinarypartner.com has all sorts they've got thousands of information sheets adding to it all the time and it's written by veterinary specialists so you're getting the nuts and bolts, the real true story on on certain conditions so veterinarypartner.com and it's a free site you can access and that's very good information Mm. and the one that i recommend for people to have a look at if they're interested in particular dog breeds is dogsonline.com.au and And that'll give you information on all the registered breeds and breeders in the country and there is the same site in the uk and new zealand as well and that's um, probably good advice for marie who rang up earlier about Different types of dogs. Yeah, dogsonline.com.au. Now, on a slightly different subject, um, recently I was in South Australia. Have you people ever seen a drop bear? (laughs) 
I've seen the ads, Joan. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever told anybody who's new to Australia that they should watch out, watch for, out the for drop bears when they go into the bush? Well, it seems that um, that may be based on a real creature. About 45,000 years ago, a marsupial lion was one of our megafauna, and uh, it was the sort of creature that was a meat eater, it had really strong arms, it had really not so strong hind legs, but it had opposable thumbs, and it climbed trees, and there's every every chance that... If you were an Aboriginal mother, you would tell your child not to go in the bush without mummy or daddy because... The drop bears. Drop bears. bears. Drop bears. <laughs> the drop lions. <laughs> no, they were marsupial lions, so it's oh, probably goodness. not a real lion. So there you go. And bunyips are in the same category. There was a kind of a giant tapir too that used to go down to waterholes at night. And so <laughs> I can't believe we're straying into fable and fiction and myths. This Just, is not um, I, I was talking earlier about the dental disease story and um, didn't really touch on the full treatment protocol that I would advise people. Diet is a big factor, okay? They need to be chewing on things, but I'm not a big fan of bones. As we know, cut bones, cooked bones are a complete no-no. Um, too much history of pulling them out of dogs from various places. But uh, certainly brushing their teeth helps. You can get chew toys and so on from the vets or from pet shops. The other thing is regular dental treatment, so, and that might involve an anaesthetic. But if you have that done all the time, then we can avoid you know, the problems where they've got to have this massive teeth cleaning and their bad breath. Great stuff. And that's mm. Pet Chat for today. Thank you, David Tabret. Thank you, Danny Boss. Thanks, Jane. I'm Jane Thanks, Klein. Jane. And uh, we'll be back next Friday after the midday news.